0: Uh, Good morning again. My name is Peter. I'm also one of the priests here. It is a cold morning. There's ice on the sidewalks outside. There's a a boil water notice in our city, but it is good to gather in the name of the Lord. As we were setting up, our Bryce, who's on hospitality this morning, helpfully brought cold brew. And he said, people will be unruly during your sermon if they don't have caffeine. And it was like, (laughs) shots fired, apparently. Apparently, uh, I need to up my game. Uh, But it was Chinese New Year this past week. As many of you will know, some of you will have celebrated. And this year is the year of the tiger. Scholar Jonathan Lee of San Francisco State University has pointed this year to the tiger as a symbol of courage and resilience and suggests that the symbol for 2022 relates to this idea of driving back disease, evil, and darkness. It is a hopeful and optimistic vision. That same idea of moving against the darkness, the light breaking forth, is at the heart of the season following Epiphany. During these weeks, perhaps you've noticed it, that the church reminds itself, celebrates that in Jesus, the light of the world is shining forth and darkness does not overcome it. Light and life are inexorably spreading, driving back evil and darkness the most hopeful and optimistic vision. In the context of such a vision, then, the the movement of God's purposes extending over the earth in Jesus, this morning I'd like for us to consider what our response might be. What might it mean to receive this vision, to receive Jesus as the light of the world? What might it mean to, in, in the language of our church's values, participate in the light of Christ shining forth? And this morning, I'd like to set our focus on Luke chapter 5, our gospel reading. And as we consider this epiphany theme, the light of Christ for all the world to see, as we think about our own response, I'd like to group our thinking around three headings. First, a voice from the center. Second, receiving the word. And third, work that is the same but different. So first, a voice from the center. Luke uses this phrase, the word of God, to describe what it was that the crowd came to hear from Jesus. This term is one that appears throughout the story that Luke is telling in the gospel and in Acts, the the second part of his story of Jesus' life among the disciples. Beginning in Luke 3 with Zechariah and Elizabeth through this passage this morning and on in Jesus' teachings, onward to the apostles and their preaching to the Jews and Gentiles. This term, the word of God, appears, and it's seen moving forward over all the earth. First, authoritatively in Jesus, and then in continuity with him, among his disciples, the first Christians. And what Luke is suggesting here in our passage this morning is that this word, going forth with in Jesus, resonates with people, right? We've seen he stirred it up in the synagogue, and now he's out among people geographically. The spread is increasing. And people are being drawn to what Jesus has to say. Uh, Our passage translates it that they gathered around him. The verb actually means they were pressing against him. They were drawing near. There was something that he was saying that sang in their hearts. It had an authority. It had a truthfulness that cut through to the core. We might describe it this way, that they sensed his words were in contact with reality in a special way. And that's something we see throughout the gospel stories. Jesus speaks in a way that connects with people. They recognize this reveals God's own speech. There's a famous verse that many of you will know from Psalm 119, verse 130. It says, the unfolding of your word gives light. In the King James Version, it says, the entrance of your word brings light. And that connects, I think, something for us this morning between what Luke describes and the season of Epiphany. Psalm 119 is this celebration of God's law, like written down for the people of Israel, but also woven into reality, like woven through creation. And what Luke seems to be naming here, describing is that the crowd had come to recognize that in the words of Jesus, they were hearing the same thing that was written in the law of God, that was woven into creation. They're speaking, they're hearing it in one voice, the word of God. And the miracle that Jesus performs here is then kind of like corroboration of that, right? It's unclear, people have debated, is Jesus like saying that's where the fish are, so put your nets out there? Or is he like speaking the fish into existence in that part of the lake? We don't really know, the text is unclear. But the point is that Jesus' word coheres with reality, that what he says is true of creation. His word brings light. It illuminates, it warms, it, it brings to light, it reveals what has been hidden, brings understanding to the simple. His words get to the heart of reality. Think of Jesus at the temple as a boy, astounding those who hear him speak. Think of the crowds elsewhere saying, nobody talks like this, the scribes, the religious teachers. Think of the woman at the well in John 4 who says, this man told me everything I'd ever done bringing light. We've talked a little this season about how the gospel, the proclamation about Jesus, is a means by which the light goes forward. And that's true, but we also see in the gospels that Jesus' own words, like what he has to say about you, about God, about reality, also brings light. What he speaks is light bringing. It's the word of God. And this is something that continues to this day. Some of you in this room, I know, are followers of Jesus because whatever else, you have a sense that his words carry truth. Truth about yourself, truth about God, truth about the world around you. Jesus' words recorded in the Gospels for us continue to have power. They continue to resonate despite the gulf of time, development, technological innovation. Despite all the cultural annoys we might put around Jesus' teachings, his word, his voice still calls us forth, is uniquely authoritative. In them is truth. When I was seven or eight years old, I dove into what I thought was the deep end of the pool, and it was about like 18 inches of water, and I cracked my head on the bottom of that pool hard. I remember the feeling that like my jawbone was gonna come out the side of my face. It like hit so hard, I was terrified. I thought it was the deep end, but it was not the deep end. It was very, very shallow. Knowing the truth about reality can be the difference between life and death. Physically and spiritually, metaphorically so what is the payoff of this? At one level, I suppose that there is this basic encouragement to attend to the words of Jesus, right? You could do worse for a sermon. Attend to the words of Jesus as written in the gospels as Luke suggests, in continuity with the word of God written for us in the whole of scripture. But more deeply, what I suppose I wanna say to you this morning is that there is a part of you that hungers for truth. There is a part of you that yearns for speech that is true and in contact with reality. In a world of spin and flattery, in a world of misinformation, my encouragement is that the truth, the light that you hunger for, the light that you need, can be found in the words of Jesus. Jesus, who's not simply Savior, not simply Son of God, but is also the wisest human being who ever lived and who speaks words that resonate, that will resonate through all of history. So put yourself in touch with his words. Make them the furnishing of your mental life, the narration to your own story. Live in light of reality as he describes it, as he names you. His voice speaks from the center of all things. The second heading for this morning is receiving the word as we listen to the voice of Jesus, as we hear him, a certain decision is forced upon us. We are implicated. We are caught up in the story. In the Gospel of Luke and the Gospels more generally, the crowd is this like specific entity. It's this specific term. The crowd are those who have interest in Jesus but stand in some fashion at remove from him. Throughout the Gospels, The crowd are those who are drawn to him, they're attracted to the spectacle, right? There's a crowd, it draws more people, there's stuff going on. But the crowd are those who, we might say, are sunk in the everydayness of their own lives, as Walker Percy puts it. And so they remain at arm's length, right? They hear the word, but they don't receive it. An interesting element of our passage is that the fishermen, including Simon, are described as simply being present, right? They're there washing their nets. There's some ambiguity there, but it seems as though the fishermen just happened to be there. They're distinct from the crowd, perhaps not even attracted or listening. They're merely present. But Jesus, as he is wont to do, forces the issue, right? He, much like he does with Zacchaeus later on in Luke's story, he invites himself aboard. He's like, those boats, I'm gonna use those boats, He makes Simon and the others an accomplice of his mission. This is a key point, I think. Jesus' voice, his words, his teaching exist not simply as this body of knowledge, this content to be brushed up on, like like you might access Wikipedia or something like that. But Jesus' voice serves as this means of encounter. His word is living. It's a means of direct address calling his people, calling people forth. Today, this morning, by the Holy Spirit, Jesus seeks to speak into your life. And that provokes a decision, right? Will I receive him? Will I receive the word that he speaks? Our readings this morning offer this contrast of sorts in response, a contrast of response to the word of God. In our judge's reading, we have the story of Gideon. And if you've spent any time around the church, you'll know that Gideon is kind of a Sunday school favorite, right? There's the fleece, there's the dudes drinking into the river and dividing them, there's the battle with the jars and the horns. It's all tailor-made for an animated story brought to you by Hanna-Barbera or something like that. But Gideon in scripture is this much more complex and tragic figure. And part of the tragedy is reflected in our reading this morning, right? The story doesn't end here, right? He continues to doubt. He continues in insecurity, in fear, in testing of the Lord. He is reluctant to receive the word of God. In contrast, then, we have Simon, Simon Peter, as a kind of stand-in for the disciples, an example of reception. And Simon, whatever his posture toward Jesus at the beginning of the story, among the crowd, receives Jesus into his boat, right? He grants the request. He says, yes, Jesus, into my life. And from there, his receiving of Christ only deepens, right? Because you say so, I will let down the nets. He's in this wearied state. He's having toiled all night long. I love this response. It's so honest, perhaps even passive aggressive, right? He's like, Jesus, I'm really, really tired. It's been a long night. I've been working hard, but because you say so, I'll do it, right? And it's like, I have that response to Jesus for sure. I also hear in it though, this connection, this echo of the true exemplar of faith in the gospels, Mary. May it be to me according to your word. May it be to me according to what you say so. May it be to my nets, my possessions, my time, my energy, according to what you say. This is the nature of Christ's call. This is the word in everything he has to say. This invitation to give ourselves up to his purpose, to live in line with reality as he defines it, to receive his word. And Peter beautifully comes to see Jesus more clearly, right? In the miracle, he's astonished at who this is. And it's subtle, but earlier in the passage, Peter, Simon refers to Jesus as master. It's kind of this generic honorific. But here he calls him Lord. It's not this full confession of Jesus' lordship, but it's on the way. As Simon says yes to Jesus, as he receives the word, he goes further in to understanding, further into revelation of who it is that Jesus is. The context in which Simon Peter receives the word of Jesus is one I think many of you can identify with weary, worn to the bone. Tired enough that the very idea of receiving God's word, of of growing in obedience to Jesus, might feel like too much. Another burden beyond us. This leads us to the third heading. Work that is the same but different. This is a very 80s reference. But do you remember the end of the movie, Back to the Future?, at the end of the movie, after all has been set right in the world of Marty McFly, Doc Brown returns with the souped-up DeLorean to invite Marty and his girlfriend onto another adventure. And just as they're about to, to journey back to the future, Doc Brown famously says to Marty, he says, "'Roads, where we're going, you don't need roads.'" And the DeLorean lifts up and flies off. It's like the most amazing ending. They fly off to uh, October 21st, 2015, six years ago. It's amazing. (laughs) But that phrase, where we're going, we don't need roads. I feel like there is a similar vibe to Jesus' miracle and call upon Simon and the other disciples in our passage today. Fish, where we're going, you don't just catch fish. This call of the disciples, this call of the fishermen involves a change, a change in their work, a change in their vocation. They leave their nets, their boats, their everything, and follow Jesus. Simon and the others' lives will now be shaped by responsiveness to the voice of Jesus, to the word of God. And that means they won't be fishermen as they have been up to this point. And they're freed to do this, to follow Jesus in light of this amazing miracle, this abundant provision. Think about this. On the day they make their greatest catch ever, they walk away. They leave it behind. Feel like good North Americans, Americans and Canadians that we are, we'd be like, we got to franchise this thing, right? We've got a good thing going. But they move on with Christ into this new way of life, It's as though this miracle, in this miracle, Jesus shows Simon and the others that their lives need no longer be marked by the same toil, by the same fruitless labor, by his word, by his guidance. With him, there is provision. There's daily bread and then some provided. A new way of life is possible. They can be pulled out of the everydayness of their lives. There's a new way of life opening up. But there's continuity here as well. Right? In the miracle, Jesus tells them what to do. He's like, put your nets down here. But it's still their skills as fishermen that are being employed. Right? It's human skill at work in the context of God's abundant new creation. And the metaphor that Jesus uses for new vocation, their new vocation, it builds on their work as fishers, right? They'll continue to catch. The verb here, though, means they'll rescue. They'll rescue those, catch them alive. I'm tempted to tell you that for weary Simon, following Jesus means no more toil, no more labor. But it's interesting to note that the same word that Simon uses in verse 5 to describe their hard work is used also by Paul in verse 10 of our New Testament reading. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder, but not me, but his grace in me. To receive God's word as spoken by Jesus, to participate in his pushing back of the darkness, is not, as much as I would like to tell you, a call to a life of leisure. Grace is not opposed to work. Jesus' call is not a life free from hard even difficult work. But it is a call to work in the context of grace, in the context of God's unmerited and abundant provision. And such abundance, such provision, such grace transforms the nature of our work, transforms us as we do this good work. In Christ, our work becomes cooperation with God's grace such that we're changed and that, such that his work of healing, of freeing, of drawing people to himself becomes ours. It's the year of the tiger. It's this symbol of resilience, courage, and bravery. And perhaps it's this call forth to push back against fear, against darkness. But the fact of the matter is, that you and I do not have the resources in and of ourselves to live lives marked by these virtues. We do not have it in and of ourselves to push back the darkness. But in the context of God's provision, by Jesus' abundant and effectual grace, the darkness is being overcome. And a new way of life, a new kind of work is possible the use of your gifts, the use of all that you are, all that you have in response to his word in line with his purposes. But in the context of his victory, in the context of his provision, in the context of his grace, life and work that are the same but different. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.